FBI 94.5 and this is Canvas, a show about art and ideas created by a team of artists. We are broadcasting live from the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and we pay respects to our Indigenous listeners and the Elders past and present. My name's David Capra. My name is Nat Randall. And my name is Abdul Abdullah. We have a very big program this morning. We have Justine Varga, who's talking about her practice and her solo show at the Australian Centre for Photography. We hear about the Packers Prize at the Art Gallery in New South Wales, which I believe was was a portrait of Lisa Wilkinson. And, and we have the wonderful comedian Frida de Guise who has, um, is talking about Boss Ladies and other projects that she has on. But before that, what have we been seeing? You've been busy, Abdul. Oh, I've been flat tack. I've been media saturation. I've been writing for like online magazines. Mate, and then, you've oh. been everywhere. You've been on ABC as well. I've oh, seen my you. new gig, my new gig on The Mix. In The Mix. <laughs> In The Mix. I, I, I did a story on Sydney Contemporary and uh, Uji Handoko, this artist from, this wonderful artist from Indonesia who, I, who we've had on the show before as a pre-record. Uh, and I've just been at Sydney Contemporary doing talks and uh, I've got some work there. But every day and every night there's been something on, backing it up for a little while now. David, what have you been Nothing to? much. I've just been doing lots of admin and I watched It last night. Oh, oh is yes. it scary? I've seen all it those is. posters around town it's, and I was like, what the shit is going on? It's like, very why? loud. I, I felt like I had post-traumatic stress coming out just because the sound was just... And I was in the second row, so it was a very intense experience. Um, was it as good as the original? Oh, the original Strange Tim Curry know. is amazing in the original. Yeah, um, he's. I th- it's it's just a it's a different film, but I uh, I enjoyed it nonetheless. I think. How many stars? How, How many, many stars? stars, David? Four. No, three. <laughs> um, we're gonna get to our first curated track by Post Motel. Thank you for curating our tracks this week. This is Post Motel. Post Motel, can you introduce yourself and describe your work for Canvas listeners? Uh, I am a Western white male. Uh, I guess most of the time I'm considered a performance artist, but really I'm, uh, I make music and then I play shows. It's pretty basic. Basic is far from what I would ever describe your work. Uh, your performances are pretty spectacular and you're I guess you call it set design, is very detailed. Can you talk more about that process? Well, when I've done shows, it's been, uh, they've changed conceptually. And so then, like, so is the music. So I guess, this, yeah, like a set design, that kind of stuff, uh, in the world that I, I try to design is completely informed by the music. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty much just how I feel at the time. I'm just going to pause Post Motel here because I think the amount of work that goes into these performances justifies a detailed description. I was lucky to be at a semi-recent Post Motel show a few months ago. It involved, among other things, a staging of his mother's womb. The performance was so visually capturing that it caught the attention of people on the street. They stood in a state of shock and bemusement as the show unfolded. Post Motel spent the first part of the show chained by a giant umbilical cord 
wearing replicas of his mother's breasts that were painstakingly detailed and cast in silicon, while faceless men staunchly guarded the stage. Every project that Post Motel produces is widely varied and unpredictable and comes highly recommended. If you were to describe your music, how would you describe it? So the music I'm kind of making now is I'm trying to push myself to have as many instrument tracks as my computer can handle. And a lot of the stuff I'm working on now, uh, I'm trying to make kind of cohesive tracks that have about 340 instrument tracks. So it's all just like a bit of a game, but it's, and also, I mean, I, I make, I kind of work in a way where I have tried to integrate all, a, a lot of different styles. I mean, this, uh, the show I'm doing at the moment, it's kind of a cross between hard style and kabuki theater. You're trained in quite a few different fields. I know that you did a little bit of method acting and studied animation. Can you talk about how that's affecting your process as a musician? Well, I was at art school and I dropped out because I was learning more on YouTube. So that was that. And so basically my entire education is, has been taught to me by 15-year-olds on YouTube. And that's kind of just the way it is and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. What do you have coming up that listeners should keep an ear out for? Uh, I'm playing a show at uh, Oxford Art Factory at the gallery with Charles, who's our electronic producer from Sydney. It's probably my favourite stuff in Sydney. I don't think he plays, plays it anymore, but he's doing it for this show. It's going to be out of control.
Thank you, Post Motel. And thank you to Laura Hunt, our music producer that interviewed those amazing, amazing, amazing curators of our tracks uh, this morning. In the studio, we have uh, Frida de Guise. She is a self-described bogan wog, a wogan. Vice has reported that she is Australia's only female Muslim uh, stand-up comedian, part creator of Boss Ladies, a brand new web series about a couple of businesswomen making their fortune and uh, testing their friendship. She's also co-creator of Frida on the Fly. Good morning. Good How morning. I'm good. Did I pronounce your surname? Not no, you no. got it totally no. wrong. Totally. It's de geese. De geese. De I apologise. No, no one gets it right. I should just be called Frida Smith. <laughs> We're going to play a little bit of Boss Ladies, aren't we? But can you set can you set the scene, Frida, of what Boss Ladies is, where it's set? And okay, so Boss Ladies is between me and my neighbour. So I have a clothing store. She has a hair salon. Oh, um, this is actually your shop. Yeah, we didn't this know is that. The, we what? thought it was a I, setup. I thought it was a setup. Oh no, we don't have that much funding. <laughs> Wow, we're just looking at this video right now. We're gonna give, we're gonna play a little bit, and then yes. we can talk about it a bit after. Okay. My boutique in Punchbowl. I'm Shireen Sayed, and this is my hair, laser, and beauty clinic, and we're the boss ladies. Layla, come answer the phone. Good afternoon, Shireen Sayed, hair, laser, and beauty clinic. How can I help you? Sorry. Yes, hello. Yeah, your wife is here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Who's that? Some guy who is insecure and looking for his wife. Where is she? I don't know. She's not even here. <laughs> hey, listen. I was reading on Facebook the other day. The average spend on a wedding is $100,000. Who spends hundred grand on a wedding? Bitch, I spent $100,000 on our wedding. What for? On what? My dress was about eight grand. The invitations by themselves were four thousand dollars. The actual reception hall. Did you actually? How did you get a web series made of your actual life? Oh well, <laughs> first um, I wanted to do like Housewives of Bankstown, <laughs> and then I thought it would be really good to have an islander in this that, and then. Um, I was hanging out with my neighbour and we just laugh all the time, which is Shireen. And um, I don't know, we just ended up going, like, I, then I was hanging out with Fadia and I said to her, well, why don't we do Bankstown and Housewives? Oh, you know, I've got Shireen. She's like this, you know, Lebanese, Botox, you know, plastic surgery. <laughs> like she's out there. She loves it, you know. And I said, why don't we just do this stuff? And then she's like, all right, let's do it. So then we just put it together. She got the funding and... Um, someone invested some money in us and then we ended up putting it together and that was all improv to be honest. Like we'll just, I don't even think Shireen knew what was happening that day. We said, look, this is the topics, this is what we're doing. And she's like, okay, I'll do it. And then, um, we just touched on things that, you know, happens every day for Lebanese people, like weddings and more weddings and more weddings. So she's got no background in comedy. Yeah, no, does she? She's just like 
Dude. No, she's a character. Oh, That's right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She's she's the Kardashian, Who, a Lebanese Kardashian. Who's that? That's her chair? worker, the girl that works for her. Oh. And so we're talking about Fadia Aboud, yeah. who uh, who created the Arab Film Festival. Yes. And so, how did she discover you both? Oh, I went to a. Well, no, she discovered me. It's all me. <laughs> now, oh, we met at a, at the Chaser um, lecture. Right. And they brought in a female Muslim stand-up comedian from Indonesia. And oh. everyone was like, oh, we, we didn't know we had a Muslim female stand-up in Australia. <laughs> so everyone met me that night and then that's when I met her and then we just stayed in touch and then, yeah. And um, and and where what's going to happen with Boss Ladies? Is it going to become a big... A big franchise, do you think? Oh, uh, I don't know. Like we're about to film, so we're brainstorming in the next couple of weeks and about to get some um, more funding to do more. Um, it became pretty popular really quick, so it was everyone wanted to see more, which is great. So mm. we are going to do more, and I don't know. We'll just see where it takes us. A stand up has got to be one of the scariest things to do. I can only imagine how hard it is. Like, what was your first stand up experience like? Oh, okay. I, I explain this all the time. The first stand-up, I was at the Laugh Garage in the city. And the first stand-up was, I went down there. I was supposed to do it with a class and the class was delayed like for two weeks because of the teacher. Oh, uh, like a class on comedy? Yeah, I had a yeah. comedy class. And then I thought, stuff this, I'm not going to wait for them. I'm just going to go do it on my own. So I went and um, if I'm going to explain it to you, it's like going, you're about to go on a roller coaster for the first time. <laughs> You're shitting yourself, you're shitting yourself, going, why do I do this? Why do I say yes? Why, 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 why? Then you go do it and then you get off and you're like, man, that was so good, I'm going again. How was the response to that first time on stage? Oh, people were, couldn't believe I was on stage. <laughs> no one. Even till now I get the same reaction. They're like, we're well, you to love, you know. <laughs> Frida, so, I know it feels like a bit of a frustrating question to ask, but one woman to another, what it, what is your perspective on women in comedy right now? Oh, I think it's awesome. I think we're at an awesome time. Um, comedy is becoming so much popular. There's so much. Everyone is aware that they need to have more females. Everyone is aware that they need to have females in their lineup every night. Um, and there's so many of us out there and there's so many new women comedians coming on. And I think it's really exciting times for comedy. Um, I don't think that I haven't suffered any discrimination, like being a female that I can't get on or anything. I think comedy is one place that there is no discrimination, no racism. And if there is racism and discrimination, it's so open. They'll just say it to your face, you know, but it's all a joke, you know. No, I think it's a great time. I think it was probably harder maybe five years ago or ten years ago, but now it's it's and, very easy. And you, you're the first um, Muslim comedian to wear a scarf in Australia and your entry yeah. into the, the funny business came roughly a bit over five years ago. What was the beginning of your career? Um, like how I started? Yeah, yeah. Like um, right at where, like what was your first joke on the kitchen table? Oh, the first joke was <laughs> um, why do I wear the scarf? Uh, were you pressured? Were you forced on? I'm just having a really bad hair day. <laughs> that, was, that was the first joke that I made and then it just built from there and... Yeah. What does your family think about what you do? Um, everyone loves it except my mother. Oh. Um, yeah, my dad loves it. He's like, drop the fashion, go straight into this, forget everything. 
Um, my sister, my brother just think I'm crazy. Um, but my, my mother, she just. Has she come to one of your gigs? Yeah, she came to one and oh. criticised me the whole night. Oh. You are not like the others. You were different. Is you know. she funny herself? Yeah, yesterday I saw her. There was an aromatherapy party. <laughs> She's like, you should have saw it. I was making them all laugh. And I'm like, you're making them laugh. I go, see, that's, where I that's how I became a comedian. She's like, yeah, but I do it in front of women, not on stage. I go, mum, the stage is only this big. She's like, yeah, she's not. She just... She can't get her head around it. And you were saying you were, you were, and still are a fashion stylist. Yeah, a fashion designer. Designer. So, so you and you got a store in Punchbowl. Yeah, I got a, a store in Punchbowl, and we're on the iconic website. Like we, like apparently we've been um, top ten seller quite a few times on the iconic. And, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's it's becoming a real established brand, and we're launching a plus size swimwear range. What is the brand next called? Month. It's called Roxas. Roxas, cool. Yeah. Cool. And How long it, have you been doing that for? Five years. Same time. Same time as comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've been in fashion for thirteen years. Oh right. What did yeah. you do before the? I had my. Life? I was. I was just selling other brands, and then I started my own brand five years ago. Oh, sorry. I thought Dave was going to yeah. ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, you've got a new project coming up. Tell us about Frida on the flight. Yeah, Frida on the flight. I'm so excited because this all starts next week. So, um, basically, I just want to go out and capture. Um, you know, the comedy clubs and how us comedians get along with each other and the way we act and muck around with each other. And it's not like really an interview. I just want people to see how we are. Like a fly on the wall sort of thing? Yeah. Okay, Do you guys get all along? Is it competitive at all? Uh, it is. <laughs> sure. Who's it your is. least favourite comedian? <laughs> My least? I don't have any least favourites, but I have ones that I just think, Oh my God, you're just not funny, but I love them because they're just not funny. <laughs> Do you have so, any like frenemy ones where you are super friends, but you like, you glare at each other across nah. the room? No nemesis? No, no, no. Because I have a family and I go home to a life. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, well, this, is a, this is another hard question, but like when you write comedy and I think about it when we're making art too, like, who are you thinking about? Like, is there an audience that you're looking to? Um, oh, that's a weird question. Like, yeah, it's real tricky. I, I used to think of something when I, like at the start, early days, I yeah. would always go, okay, Arab community, uh, bombs, you know, make my keyword list and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and then now I don't really want to go that way. Now yeah. I just want to, um, you know, my daily experiences, things that I find that are weird, you know, I just get them and write them down and start making jokes about it. And my audience is mainly white Australian. Like it's not, you know, because what I say sometimes is, freaks people out like it's not for everyone how do you kind of negotiate that sort of um that yeah that line in relation to i guess a muslim community and a kind of bogan I australian i don't negotiate <laughs> <You> just, <laughs> i just do it you know and i suffer the consequences and i think that's one thing with comedy if you're going to sit there and negotiate your words you're in the wrong place. Yeah, it's you not might as well go work committee. for the Telegraph. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be on there and you're gonna do, you're gonna say whatever you can, you know. I was oh. gonna, uh, sorry, Abdul, I was, I was just gonna ask, um, what, what are, what are you finding funny at the moment? Yeah, who are your favourite comedians? Yeah, yeah, like, oh my, fa oh my God, I'll tell you. Um, okay, I've been, I've become Please. obsessed with Jeff Ross over the last couple of days, like obsessive about roasting. 
Um, and then I've also become now a big fan of Bill Burr. Oh, uh, yeah, he's yeah. absolutely hilarious. Now, Australia. Yeah. Okay. I've got um, Husey. I saw him the other day. And I never wanted to watch Husey. I like, I love Husey. I've grown up with Husey because I'm from <laughs> Melbourne. But I thought, what, since... he's from Warrnambool, right? Yeah. I thought yeah. he's now married with kids. Like, how fun can he... He's always telling dad jokes. I thought, he's lost his touch. <laughs> And then he I'll, hasn't, or nah. he has. Oh my God, he is the Australian king of comedy. <laughs> That's a big call. Oh, oh! When I saw him, he was flawless, flawless. Um, I thought he was amazing. Another one that I love, love, love. Awesome writer, Justin Hamilton. Um, he's fantastic, and of course, my other favourite, Will Anderson. Like, he's just. A real big one. For Do you me. have to say that as a comedian to other fellow comedians? Like, no, because they just think I'm an idiot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I see comedians, I'm like, I love you. It's like, man, I'm not a rock star. I'm just a comedian. But... And you mentioned writing then. So you written for the you, you wrote for the Gruen. Yeah, I did a writer's attachment with Gruen. What's that experience like as a comedy writer on those shows? Oh, that was the best. And one of the best compliments was Will Anderson said to me. Man, you need to be writing for Amy Schumer. It's not for me. It's for Amy Schumer. Goes this stuff is gold. So <laughs> to take that away, I was wrapped. I didn't get a job, but I was wrapped. <laughs> it was like awesome. Frida, thank you so much for joining us. It's a real pleasure no to worries. have you. Um, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna just pump out Boss Ladies as well because we're all big, big, big fans, and we can't wait for Frida on the fly. We're gonna get back to our curated tracks. Uh, this is Negative Creep by Kudlam. You know I'm through in my mind and my body's fine, but in my soul I know I'm a negative creep.
That was Kudlam by Negative Creep. And you're listening to Canvas on FBI 94.5. The Archibald Prize is one of the most uh, prodigious prizes in Australia since 1991 alongside uh, the Archibald. The Art Gallery of New South Wales has awarded the Packing Prize Room chosen by the staff of the gallery with the deciding vote going to the head of the packing room, Stephen, oh, Peter Stephen. Canvas producer Tara Janice spoke to Peter with the prize and it was announced earlier in the year. I'm just here at the Art Gallery of New South Wales with Steve Peters talking about the packing room prize. Steve, you've been here since the beginning of the prize for the past 40 years. How did it all begin and, and what is it for our listeners? Us, the packers, we, we get to see each and every work we come in and we'd always pick one that we, that we like. Um, so the first one was a portrait of Gareth Evans. Um, so then they hung that at the SH Urban Gallery. The following year was a portrait of Colin Hayes, the horse trainer from um, South Australia, and they actually hung that just outside the gallery here, outside the exhibition. And every year since it's the media have been and the public have wanted to know who the Packers like this one. So we picked one that we think is a good work. For us, the work has to be good, which knocks out about 95% of them. Um, sadly, that figure seems to be growing, <laughs> I think. But, um, but, you know... And it also has to be someone that's easily recognisable. So the average down the street can just walk past and say, yep, that's this year, that's Lisa Wilkinson. Yeah, so this year you chose a portrait of Lisa Wilkinson by Peter Smythe, and she's a, a big figure. But Peter Smythe has entered for 34 years, almost as much as you've been sort of judging it. Um, what made you choose this work in particular? Well, for us, this was the best work that came in. And um, it's a populist figure. When Peter's been entered before, we might, he might not have been such a populist figure and we might have had something better. But um, Peter is a very good artist, so it, it's, um, it's fitting that, that he finally gets it, doesn't he? And this is actually your last one that you're judging. You're about yeah. to leave. And, and you're, who are you passing on the baton to? I'm passing, passing on to, to Brett Cuthbertson. Uh, Brett's been sort of my right hand man, basically. The last, well, since I started here, and um, 
Brett just started the gallery just a little bit before I did, and um, he's head of installation here, and um, they become honorary packers for that week, <laughs> yeah. and um, so it's ideal that I pass it on to Brett, and so Brett will take over, and he'll actually get 52% next year. <laughs> I put that down to global warming. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you.
That was Six Million Ways by Talibaman, and you're listening to Canvas on FBI, Canvas Art and Ideas on FBI Radio. Hey, Justine Varga is an artist who experiments and pushes photography as a medium. It has been written that her process complicates both the act of looking and the experience of time. Justine's latest show, Photogenic Drawing, has just opened at the Australian Centre of Photography. Welcome to Canvas. Good Hi. morning. Good morning. Good morning. So, Justine, when did you first start taking serious photographs? Do you remember the first <laughs> series <laughs> that you... Um, uh, well, in, in all honesty, it was actually in high school. Right. I um, I was really I went to a school that had dark rooms, and so really when I was in year eight, um, so at about the age of fourteen, and I that's when I really began making photographs and honing my craft in and the dark room. What were you photographing in high school? I actually remember, like I love you know I got a pen t- had a Pentax and I had a macro lens and I would you know just the usual like flowers and just really you know <laughs> what kids at 14 are interested in sort of my immediate surrounds, which actually is how I work to this day. Mm. And and so what did you go on to, to do? You went to university and then you, um, what were your first series? Because you, you're quite renowned for your, 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 your niche kind of uh, interest mm. in, in things. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, the truth is, I mean, I started going to National Arts School when I was in high school because I did the extension um, HSC program there. And really, I just at that, you know, that experience made me realize, wow, I could spend all my time doing this. And then anyway, so I went on to do my degree there and then I took a year out to travel in Europe and then I went back to do my honours. And then really, even after that time um, at art school, I kind of just I didn't show immediately. I actually spent a a couple of years just making um, work and deciding what I wanted to take with me from that time when I was in art school and what I wanted to sort of jettison. And I made the, um, the resultant um, series was Empty Studio, uh, yeah, which was then exhibited at a few places. Um, I at, remember those. Yeah, the Helen yeah. Lempriere, when yes. it was the Helen Lempriere at Art Space, mm. and also Primavera. Mm. And um, yeah, and very early on, the uh, what well, I have first exhibited the series actually in my garage at home and the Art Gallery of New South Wales actually bought work from that show. That's extraordinary. So that was the beginning, it kind of, yeah. And there were photographs of your empty studio, so corners and... Yeah, and essentially, I kind of, you know, because when I first left, you know, art school and the institution, it's like, well, how how do I work outside of that environment? Mm. And so I decided, I'd set myself this limitation where I'd just go into my studio every day, which was a garage at my home, and just do something. And I also said to myself, I'm only going to use what is at hand in the studio. So just sort of those very sort of rudimentary materials that are common in every everyone's studio, really. Wire, string, bubble wrap, <laughs> things like that. And you've got quite an interesting approach to photography. Often you don't use a camera. And um, can you give us an understanding of the process of of how you arrive with an image? Yeah, so, um, well, my within my practice, I use both um, a camera and I also make cameraless photographs. And I mean, it's quite a story of how I arrived at that point. But I guess a p- way to think about that is, you know, I did go to National Art School where I 
you have a foundation of drawing. So even though I um, majored in photography, I drew throughout, and that has really informed the way they think about photography. So even when when I'm using a camera, I'm often like close my eyes and think about you know the marks that are being made onto photographic surface because all of my work is analog. So n- it's never enters the digital space until it's photographed for documentation right at that very end point. Um, so you know when I think about um, you know. The cam- when I'm using the camera and those marks being made, it kind of, I got to a point in my thinking where, okay, I'm going to get rid of the camera as an intermediary between what I'm recording and the, the photographic surface, the film surface. Now, your show, Photogenic Drawing, drawing opened this week at uh, the Australian Centre of Photography. Yeah. It's a photographic installation that peels back the curtains of your process a bit. Uh, what can audiences expect when they visit? Well, it's kind of quite a, an immersive installation. It's... um. Because I've got a few exhibitions on at present. So at the National Art School Gallery, I have um, some framed completed works and then also at Sydney Contemporary at the moment. And and I also was invited to put on an exhibition at the Australian Centre of Photography. And I was kind of like, well, how do I have these all these exhibitions running concurrently and how can they speak to each other and inform each other? And so the installation down at um, the ACP is um, of my test strips, which is usually the element of photography that is discarded, like quite literally thrown away because that's how, you know, it's seen as the the byproduct of the final work. But I keep all of my test strips. So the installation down at ArtSpace uh, is uh, an archive of my work from 2014 through the present. And so it's a bit of like a survey in a sense, but through, um, yeah, the test strips. So it's kind of like inviting people to interrogate, you know, the way that my my thought process and how I arrive at the final print and also to, um, to make really plain like the labour that's involved in making a, a photograph, especially today, you know, with how ubiquitous photography is and we've all got, you know... Uh, image capture device in our pocket and you know that can be quite an instantaneous um, method but you know when I'm making my photographs there's a lot of time and you know paper and chemicals that go into that. It's funny just on that oh, sorry Dave the, the um, like I, I do painting and photography mm. but photography is so much more work <laughs> like painting for me I can sit there by myself and do it but photography there's all these processes yeah, and people don't necessarily very- realize how much goes into it creating an image yeah it's very process driven and you know even though my work is durational so I spend months and weeks and years exposing my negatives but I spend just as much time in the dark room printing it's very physical um, process with my printer as well so we're printing in tandem and there are so many decisions being made and it's like we were like one of the works in the new series we were printing it for a few days and on the final stretch we were up until two o'clock in the morning you know, because once you get on that roll, you don't want to stop. And we we're so mm. close, but we just couldn't. And then, you know, eventually, when it, <laughs> oh, it was really funny, actually, because then, like, we finally got it. And this moth came in front of the work and just sort of fluttered in front of it. And we're like, it's a sign. It's a sign. <laughs> you know, and, and anyway, and then we did the run. <laughs> Can we talk about your win? It was a $20,000 Olive Cotton Award for photographic portraiture. And the image was called Maternal Line. Can you tell us? how you made that work yeah so yeah maternal line it's such a special work to me because it um it's a portrait of my grandmother um who I'm really very close to and 
I obviously, you know, I think deeply about what a photograph is. And when I decided to make this portrait of my grandmother, I was really trying to yeah, deconstruct what um, we are asking of a subject when we ask, get, when we take a, f- a photograph with them, of them, you know, with using a camera generally. And when we think about that, we think, well, okay, um, when I put you know, when I take a photograph of someone, I'm asking them to be inscribed onto a photographic surface. Like physically, they are marked onto that um, surface. So I thought it would be a beautiful idea to actually get my mother to, my grandmother to directly inscribe herself with her gesture of her hand and then also to rub her saliva into it as well, like a double inscription, like her genetic code Mm. is embedded within that photograph. Because um, also it's like a family portrait mm. in that sense too. And tell us about your grandmother. Did she do anything creative during her life? And No, but she always says that she would have loved to have studied art. Mm. My, my family um, immigrated from Hungary, so on both sides of my family. So my grandmother was 12 when she arrived in Australia uh, in the 50s after, you know, being in camps in Germany and all of that sort of thing. So... Um, and that re- that op- the, the opportunity to study art was not on the table for her. So she's always been very supportive, and music's always been something very important to people in my family as and well. And what did what did she think of this work? Um, well, she couldn't be more proud, <laughs> you know. And she's and it was really special because she actually turned eighty the week of the right. announcement, and um, she said, "Oh, honey, thank you. I'm finally notorious at 80. <laughs> and you you went under a little bit of a mini media storm when you won when you when you did win this. Um, I saw I read that the judge, um, Dr. Sean Lakin, senior director of photography at the National Gallery of Australia, said that he got a real s- strong sense of your grandmother from the work, and he really he really admired it. Obviously, he awarded you the prize, but then he said he also received plenty of hate mail mm. for awarding you the prize. And then there was another photographer, um, North Sutherland. Um, the former director of the Australian Commercial and Media Photographers Association, who had um, real issue about who owned the work as well. What did you think about all this? All these. It was quite things? a surprise, really. I, you know, I knew that the work could possibly engender some sort of conversation, but I had no idea it would go to this very mm. silly place, actually, mm. because we've got to remember within the the two men that you've just cited there, Dr. Sean Lycan was the only one had actually seen the work. Right. North Sutherland um, had not seen the work. So he actually doesn't have very much idea about what it is he's talking about because he has not actually seen the object itself. Nor does he have any idea about ownership in the work. No, no. I mean, he kind of doesn't have a very basic understanding of... uh, yeah, copyright, I think. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and not every artist's experience is something like this. Can you describe what it, it was like insane. to go through it? Like that it kind it's of, very, it is debate, very insane. But the debate over a subject and also consent and like all of these things that were kind of mm. brought up. Well, I think actually there is actually a bigger narrative at play here because mm. what actually happened was that certain uh Photographers that have were stitched into the Sydney Morning Herald, and who had previously worked there or c- currently work there, were not happy about the decision. Sure. And 
they particularly were incensed that a younger female artist had done, you know, used language that they did not use within their own photography. And they wanted to um, silence that. And so the whole thing going about in the copyright, it was just a way to undermine mm. my authority and my work. Mm. And totally. also, you know, my grandmother, they were saying that she's, um, you know, demented and, and I was taking advantage of her. And But it was just, it's mm. you know, the whole copyright thing is just a way to kind of, yeah, take away the power of the work. That's what they were trying to do. So it's kind of base. All of that is baseless because the agenda was actually something else. I'm very happy we've cleared it up here because we spoke about it um, quite a few weeks ago around mm -hmm. the disgusting um, coverage from the Sydney Morning Herald. So it's it's quite good to clear the air. Right and we're now. sorry yeah. you had to and go through that. That's awful. No, but I'm glad that you know the conversation has gone to a more sensible place now. I mean, it was disturbing to me that the Sydney Morning Herald was not at all interested in having a rounded discussion, and they um, mis mis misrepresented me and my words actually the initial interview and also other artists that they interviewed. And I find it kind of irreprehensible and just tabloid. You know, mm. trash really <laughs> the work is on display at the moment at Sydney Contemporary and it um it's fantastic along with a new another body of work can you please describe those works that are in the show yeah so it's a yeah continuation of um you know my approach and methodology towards photography and i'm really within this new series which is also called photogenic drawing um, questioning yeah, the nature of photographing ins inscription um, and also, you know, where mediums overlap, I'm very interested. So painting, sculpture, the performative and photography. And I like to sort of, yeah, play at those margins and those boundaries. So that's what these works are doing. And Maternal Line is on display because I really wanted people to be able to have the opportunity to see the work. Because, like I said, there's been so much debate without people actually seeing the object for themselves. And you can get in there this afternoon at Carriage Works at Sydney Contemporary, the last afternoon of the fair. Sneak on in, have a look. Uh, uh, Justin Varga is at Hugo Michel in the main room. You can't miss it. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Justin. You can see Justine's show, um, Photogenic Drawing, at the Australian Centre for Photography on Oxford Street until the 21st of October. Now, back to our curated tracks by uh, Postal Motel. This is Three by Charles. <laughs> Thank you.
That was That Is 3 by Charles. It's funny, on my Uber on the way to the station this morning, they're like, oh, I used to listen to FBI, but it's all just that heavy techno stuff. I don't listen to it anymore. <laughs> and I was like, nah, it's not really diverse. You should tune back Mate, in. Mate, this is good stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Thank you, Postel Motel. What's on this week? 
Uh, we've got the big rally for marriage equality today at Town Hall. It's in like 40, uh, no, 54 minutes, minutes yes. at Town Hall. So anyone that's up for a yes vote, please head down to the Town Hall. And if you're for a no vote, piss off somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Between Earth and Sky by Jolla Jones book launch is at St Luke's Hall in Enmore, uh, which is on the 22nd of September. Uh, Sound in the Future at UTS Galleries in this final week. We'll be talking to them next week. Uh, Benjamin Law, uh, he's a hilarious, hilarious, hilarious person, is in conversation with David Marr, Sexuality Schools and the Media, Wednesday, September 13th at 7pm at the Seymour Centre. We'll also be chatting to Benjamin on next week's show. I didn't read that before. That's fantastic. And Canvas is brought to you by a team of artists Abdul Abdullah, David Capra, Nat Randall and Aurora Scott. Um, thank you to all our guests today. Frida, Justine, um, Tara Janis, who produced some of our stuff, um, Post Motel and uh, Peter Stevens, Laura Hunt, who's also helped us out with all the music this week as well. We're going to end this track uh, with the end. See you next week. It's the end, friend of mine. It's the end Friend of mine Time is over Or we could simply say I love you Now you open the door Leave me crying Trying to embrace you again Trying Face this damn situation, man, I can't It's the end, friend of mine It's the end, sweet friend of mine Dear friend, I cannot tell the reasons why We started well, good time Give me some wine when you open the door You seem hurt Do try to speak a word to me What on earth could really go wrong with you and me Yet it's the end Friend of mine It's the end Sweet friend of mine Time seems to be over Well, we could simply say I love you Now you open the door I feel cold Why can't I hold you in my arms Told you that life is short but love is all It's the end, friend of mine It's the end, sweet friend This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts